Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? I'm super honored to have my parents here on the front row. They uh, came in and swooped up our family, took us to Disneyland, the second happiest place on earth, next to All People's Church. Amen. Amen. And uh, reminds me of a, a story I heard of a mom that comes into her child's bedroom to, to wake him up. Johnny, Johnny, wake up. It's time to go to church. Oh, mom, I don't want to go to church. Johnny, you need to go to church. Church is so good for you. Mom, I hate church. The messages are so boring and no one likes me there. Well, Johnny, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're 40 years old and plus you're the preacher. <laughs> now, that, that is not a typecasting joke this morning. I love this church and I think the messages are exciting. I, uh, we're going to continue on in our series entitled Real Church this morning. We've been unpacking what the church that Jesus envisioned when he was building his family on earth was all about. And we've been going along in this journey. We're numerous weeks in. I hope that it's been shaping your heart and growing you with passion for all that God has for us as a spiritual family. As I was reflecting on this thought this week. I was reminded of a story I read years ago of an orphanage in Russia, and there was this tragedy going on as numerous little ones were passing away. There were all these babies there, and they sent in researchers to understand why they were losing their lives. You see that their, all their basic physical needs were being met. They were having uh, the food that they needed, the, the dietary supplements, they were being changed and, and kept clean. But as the researchers went in, what they saw after observing for a few days is although these children had their physical needs met, there were so many kids that had come into this orphanage, and the orphanage staff was so short that the caretakers had no time to do the basics of giving nurture to the children. So the children weren't picked up. The children weren't spoken to. The children weren't called by name. The children weren't sung over like little babies are so often given that kind of attention. And what they realized is the children, as time went on, became more and more despondent. And they realized that these children were actually getting sick as they felt that they had no reason to live because they were not given the love that their little hearts so desired. And the researchers ended up saying these children are dying because of a lack of affection. You know, this is so important for us as humans. You are not just a being that needs food and shelter, but necessary to the human heart is actual love from relationships. We, we were in Disneyland on Friday, and it was interesting as Steph and I were sitting on a, a bench waiting for our kids to go on California Screaming for the ninth time. 
Uh, I made it twice, and then I realized I didn't want to embarrass our family as I was getting a little woozy. So I thought I'd just stay on the bench and, and wait. And as we were sitting there and, and waiting for our children to return, this young, very, very uh, well-groomed and well-spoken young man comes and sits next to us, and we engage him in conversation. And we were fascinated to find out it was, it was graduate night. But with all his class there, this kid was all alone. And I would have been used to that in earlier years with someone who, who would seem like more of a misfit, but this kid was very sharp, and, and we talked to him, and he was just on his own at the park. He got up and walked off, and I thought, that's, that's really interesting. And then right after that, another kid came and said, hey, can I sit down uh, on the bench? And, and he sits down, and we talked to him, and he's all alone. And very, very similar, very clear, articulate communicator, very, very well-dressed young man. And I, I remember turning to Steph and just saying, Steph, I wonder how many people in our day and age are living lives where they're really going throughout their days all alone. You know, we're seeing this more and more in our day and age, that people are isolated, people aren't connected, they don't have that family that God so longs to put us in. And what are the effects of that? It's, it's having huge effects on our society. We're seeing people act out in all kinds of very destructive ways. It seems like every couple days we're hearing of another ter terrorist attack. This breaks our heart. We're hearing of another school shooting. We're hearing of another episode of domestic violence. And it's all around. They're, they're, they're even becoming common in, in our region. And you can start feeling like the world is a very hard place. It's a very dangerous place to live. And you start wondering, is there any hope? And that's why I love the scripture where Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to tell you that hope is alive on planet earth. And it's found in Christ's family, the church. There is a place on earth where people can come and find purity. They can find holiness. And they can find the love and affection that their hearts were made for. And it's in the church, and that's what we want to unpack today. You know, I think oftentimes when we think of the church, especially if you grew up outside of the church, which is about 50% of our congregation, the first thought that people have is usually what they see in movies. Churches are usually depicted as a little white building with wooden pews, a cross on top. A lot of times in movies, it's seen as very boring, kind of antiquated service. But I think even if we grew up in the church like I did, we can still relegate our thoughts to church being an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And, and as we look at what Jesus desired for the church, or we even look at the word for church in the New Testament, we understand that it's quite different than just a, an hour and a half in a, in a tiny little building. The word for church is ekklesia. Can you say that? Ekklesia. That's a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek, and, and that, that word ekklesia is just pregnant with meaning. It comes from two words compounded together. The first is ek, which means out of, out of, and the second word is kaleo, which means to call. 
And so when Jesus said, I will build my church, he could have used a, a, a number of words. He could have said, I, I'm going to build my, my little building or I, I, I'm going I'm to build this little social circle. But instead he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, which means my called out ones. You see, the church is a people that are called by God's voice. And they're called out of this world. They're called, Jesus was saying, I have a community that's called to rise above the hedonism, the sensuality, the harshness, the the, the loneliness, the the tragedies of this world. I'm calling the people to rise above that. They're my called out ones, and they're going to go on a journey of faith. And and he says, I'm going to build my church. You know that Jesus is always at work building a family that's rising above the darkness of this world to go back and to bless the world, to go back and to to provide a place of peace, love, and joy. I think a lot of times we... We don't think of Jesus as starting the first church. You know, if you grew up in church, you probably think of the book of Acts as where we see the church beginning. But do you know that Jesus was the first church planter? He's the one who started the first church. The reason we don't think that is because his church was this mobile band of Jesus followers. It was the church on the move. It was the, the, the first church on the move. It was always moving. And so we think, well, Jesus didn't start a church because they weren't always going on Sundays and gathering in a building. Instead, they were always moving around. They were always going to new places. And another reason we don't think that Jesus started the first church is we, we look at Jesus and we go, well, Jesus, it seemed like you were more about pouring into 12 guys. You were more into discipleship than, than, than the church. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Says, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Today, I want to propose to you that Jesus' way of doing church is making disciples. Amen. It's not mutually exclusive. Jesus founded the first church, and the first church was a discipleship community. So we've been in this journey of unpacking the real church, looking through the New Testament, and we've been talking about this river, this river of transformation that flows through the authentic New Testament church. We've been using this diagram up here, these waypoints we've been discussing of what happens to a person when they actually become a part of the New Testament church the way that God envisioned. Let's look at that here. So we start with decision. Yeah, I meet Christians all the time that say, you know, I think I'm a believer. I think I'm a Christian. I think that I'm in God's kingdom. Well, you can be sure of that. God wants us sure, and it comes through a decision. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what does saved mean? It means you're brought into God's family. You're going to go to heaven when you die. You can be 100% sure of that. That's 
called making a decision. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and defeating the power of eternal death for you. So you make a decision, you step into his church. You want to know who really belongs to the church? It's not someone who who gets a perfect attendance record. It's someone who's made a decision to let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of their life. So let me ask you this morning, have you made that decision? If you haven't, I want to give you a chance at the end of the service. The second waypoint is dunked. That's our, that's our uh, colloquial word for baptism, because we need them all to be Ds, right? So we, we get dunked. We, we get put underwater, and, and the scripture says that you're buried with him in baptism. It's just a symbol. It's a symbol of your old life dying, and then we raise you up. We say raise to walk in newness of life, and then you're, you're raised to walk in. And so it's a symbol showing yourself and the whole world that you are now a Christ follower. If you haven't been baptized, we do frequent baptisms here. You don't have to go through some class. You don't have to, to be able to do a certain amount of push-ups or, or, or whatever you think that you have to be to be a good Christian. You can just get baptized the second you receive Jesus and make that decision. The next one is delivered. We talked about that last week. If you didn't listen to the message, I encourage you to listen to it because so many Christians don't live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. We live addicts and and we live in bondage and we live in depression and despair and Jesus wants to set you free. The next waypoint where we are going to camp out today and actually for the next two weeks is on disciples. Jesus wants you discipled. He wants you to actually grow. Too many people come to some kind of Christian event. They, 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 they go into some kind of crusade or, or they get on a media device and they hear the gospel and they make a decision, but then it's like they're those little babies, those little orphans that are just left alone. And, and, and when you're left alone as a little baby, you cannot receive the nourishment or the training that you need. And so that's why we have a ton of spiritual infants in the body of Christ. Now, now hear me, I love those big events. I, I, I love anything that preaches the name of Jesus. We do big musicals to bring in people who don't know Jesus. Some of you came to Christ at that. We do big carnivals at Halloween to bring in scores of people that are outside the church. I love those things, but let me tell you that God wants to put people in family. When babies are born, they're made to be in family, and that's what discipleship is all about. So we're going to talk about two different types of discipleship. You see, we, we don't have to guess what discipleship looks like. It, it's very confusing to people. Well, I could never make disciples. I could never be discipled. That's just not me. I, I'm not a spiritual giant. Only spiritual giants are disciples. That's just not true. People were discipled the day they got saved. In Acts chapter 2, the gospel was preached and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And then there was a strategic plan to grow them in their faith. You know, I'm believing for a day in America where 3,000 people are saved instantly. I'm believing for that in San Diego. I believe those days are coming again. In the 70s, there was something called the Jesus Movement, and thousands were being saved in our own region. We believe that God's spoken that those days are coming again, so it's very important for us to know a strategy for familying, for discipling scores of people at the same time. And here is the strategy. In Acts 2, 3,000 people saved in a day, and then we find this next. Acts chapter 2, if you turn there with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. 
This is a breakdown of how people were discipled. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Excuse me while I get a drink. Wow, there's plenty of drinks up here this morning. What you see in the life of Jesus is him spending time, him purposely spending time with a, a, a focused group. Now, Jesus was very different than the majority of world leaders who want to get their message out. If you think about leaders and world leaders, they usually use their position, right? Like a president would meet with his cabinet and, and, and they'd use a, a governing body like Congress or Senate. Or, then they'd use media devices and technology to broadcast their message and they'd use their popularity to gather large crowds and that's where they'd spend the majority of their time. Jesus, very different. If you study the New Testament, he's consistently with his group of 12 and then he also, within that 12, he has three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent very focused time with. I, I think those numbers are very strategic, that, that 12, that group, and then those three, the mentoring relationships. Acts 2.42, it says that they were meeting house to house. I believe they were in groups of about 12. Why? Because that's about the size of the homes in those ancient Israel days. I think that Jesus was very strategic, and it doesn't have to be exactly 12, but sociologists and psychologists actually say the number 12 is very significant because it's about the number of people that can interact with each other at one time and everyone actually have a chance to talk and to be known. It's a group that sociologically can have a, a level of comfortability and, and intimacy and friendship as they meet together. Acts 2, 42 through 47 shows us what that group of 12 would do together. It, it, the reason I can tell you that Jesus was the first church planner is all the things in Acts 2, 42 through 47 are what he and his disciples did together and then what was the blueprint for meeting together to train Christians to grow in their faith from day one. So let me unpack that. I'm going to spend the last few minutes of this message unpacking these different components so that you can see how Jesus wants you to be discipled in the context of the church. Now, first of all, it's important to know Acts 20:20 20, 20 says this, that they met in the temple courts and they met house to house. A true New Testament church is a two-winged plane. One is the large group setting. That's what we're doing this morning. We come into the large group setting. It's so powerful. You feel that majesty in worship. We get the preaching from the front. We get the word unpacked for us. There's certain things that happen in a large group that are so inspiring and speak of the, the awe and the glory of God. But then there's that second wing, which is the small group. We call them life groups. We believe in order for a New Testament church to actually be a New Testament church, it's going to have both components. And the first thing that we see is it says they devoted themselves. Acts 2.42, say devoted. devoted. 
I remember I was about 18 when I started getting my heart set on fire for God. I had a couple of experiences where I learned, wow, God actually speaks to me. I remember having a vision. I didn't grow up learning about visions. And I remember having this vision in my mind of God speaking about the future to me. And I was absolutely blown away. And I thought, man, I, I want to give myself to walking with God. I want to grow in this relationship. I want to be best friends with him. So I, I went on this journey of visiting all these different churches that were in my town. And as I did that, to be quite honest, I was disappointed because I couldn't find people that, that were devoted. Yeah, you know, I'd go in and, and they would be one way on the hour on a Sunday morning and then they would be completely different the rest of the week. They, they, they get on their spiritual language or their religious language at church, but then they'd live just the same as all the lost world around me. It was very frustrating. And even when they talked about Jesus, they more talked about religion instead of the person of Jesus. They didn't have the same stories that the Bible has, these miracles and signs and wonders, and it left me really wanting. I so wanted to be around a people that were devoted. It took me about three years of wandering. I was kind of wandering through a proverbial desert looking for these people. I finally heard about this group that was going down to Mexico at 250 college students, and they were just on fire. Actually, they were so on fire, they scared me. Like in worship, they'd all raise their hands. Back then, you didn't raise your hands unless you had a question, right? And, and, and they would be up front dancing around, you know, and I was weirded out. I remember one of my friends came back. He was like, people were dancing in church. I was like, did they pull out snakes? You know, I was, I was freaked out by these kind of people. No, they didn't, praise God. And, and, uh, but, but they were on fire for Jesus, and I, and I got around them, and they were praying, and you know, they didn't pray, oh Lord, you know, my, my prayers were so, you know, I, all of a sudden I sounded like a founding father in the animatronic, like, presidents at Disney World, like, our Father and our God, you know, they would be, they would, they would pray, like Jason has his prayer, raise your hands, now call out, you know, and they'd start calling out for God to move, and these guys were on fire, and wouldn't you know that they also met in small groups, in life groups. And it said they devoted themselves. And, and what did they do in those life groups? The first component was this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? It means they'd take the word of God and actually apply it to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just hear it on a Sunday. The scripture says that we should be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, it's funny. I actually hear people in the, in the church at large, not, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about just in, in overall Christianity, they can get so prideful about the sermons they listen to, right? They're like, man, I listen to this guy. I listen to all his sermons, you know? Well, I listen, you know, and they're say, they're, they like say some different pastor that's popular and famous, like, well, I, I listen to this many, or did you hear this pastor say this? And they're like, yeah, what's up, you know? And, uh, and there's like this, because in our day and age, you can't, there's no shortage in opportunity to listen to great preaching. And I'm not against that. I love that, especially as a pastor. I don't get to hear other people on Sunday mornings. So I'm so thankful that I can get a podcast and listen to someone. But can I tell you, that just listening to something doesn't change you. It's actually applying it to your life. And so that's why we have life groups where we come together and we take the word and we actually discuss it. 
because we ask you what you think about it. And then we say, okay, how is this affecting your work? When you go to school on Monday, or when you're with your kids on Tuesday, or when you're in the office on Wednesday, how are you applying what we talked about Sunday morning? Uh, this week, I, ha- I had a camera follow me into Life Group. It had a person behind it. But I, I, I had someone come and just film our Life Group. I've been a part of Life Groups for 20 years. Sometimes that shocks people. They're like, you go to Life Group as a pastor? Absolutely. I love being a part of, the, of a community where I can actually be known and know very closely some people. And I, I want to show just a clip of, of, of what our life group looks like, and then I'm going to take you through some of the components and hear what some of the real-life people actually said about these different components of life group. Let's just show what our life group looks like this week. having this, uh, this meal at, at Disneyland, and there was a real kind guy waiting on us, and we started just talking and found out that we were part of a church, and he ends up saying, yeah, my church, he he's, lives in L.A., but he goes, you know, my church is basically getting online and listening to a church in Texas, and, and, and I thought, you know, I, I'm so glad you're listening. That's, that's powerful, but you're missing so much because you're not sitting and fellowshipping with people and actually applying the word of God for yourself. And I I want you to hear what one of our our life group members says about this time of talking about the word and and devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We went through a five-week sermon um, uh, uh, that that you had delivered. Right. We'd break it apart and break it apart, and it it became much more into our DNA in our everyday life Uh versus just arriving on Sunday, coming back next Sunday, and nothing in between. So it really solidified our week and gave us, you know, a place to go to. And a lot of times it really saved our lives. There was just tragedy after tragedy. And as much as we loved the Lord, we just didn't have that practical application on a day-to-day basis and and creating, um, you know, daily prayers and taking each day. And and then we'd come back in the middle of the week, and, and that kind of fed us. Awesome. A little bit more, yeah. and that was that was kind of the part that awesome. we're praying things through, we're going to the Bible and and reading things. Things came before us, and I think that the the Holy Spirit really has has come into our life um, uh, exponentially, mm-hmm. and that's what changed our lives. You know, uh, tonight the Golden State Warriors are going to destroy the Cavaliers, and. Uh, but, but when you think about it, no great team just has one practice a week, right? In order to do something with excellence, they meet consistently, and that's the way that they can grow in their skills and be successful. Think about it. I want to tell you, this team right here, I actually believe has a greater task than the Warriors do tonight. Some of you believe that. This team called the church is the hope of the world. 
And we actually have the power to transform lives. Can I tell you, we need to practice more than just once a week on Sundays. We need to get together with our team and learn more about what God is saying for us. The, the playbook is found in this book, and God wants us to study it together. And so applying the word of God absolutely transforms you. It disciples you. People get discipled in the word as we open it up together and learn how to unpack it for ourselves. That's why we love discussion. That's why we don't just do another teaching. Is because we're actually trying to say, how is it affecting you? And each one of us can learn from each person in the room. Let's move on. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Right? I love fellowship. I love growing down with people. I, I, uh, I, I remember the first time that I saw a group of people. It was right when, when everyone started carrying cell phones. They walked in to this restaurant, these four businessmen, they all sat down, they all got on their phone and talked the whole time, and, and I don't think I saw them talk to each other one time. And I thought, that is so crazy. But can I tell you, now I'm seeing that so commonly played out before us. That was in the day when we just talked on the phone. Remember when we talked on phones? That was such a novel time. Uh, now, I see people, I mean, I was watching people all this week, you know, every time they'd sit down, everyone just pulls out their phone and, and, and just plays with it, and, and, and so what I'm trying to say is this, we don't understand anymore how to interact with each other, and, and unless you had a family, I actually have, my, my parents were amazing at teaching me, I remember my dad would, would walk into our, our, our church meetings, and dad would always say, Robert, stick out your hand. Robert, look at people. I, I'd always, you know, I'd stick out my hand and go, and, and put my head down. I don't know why we, we always do that, but my dad would be so good about saying, now look at people in the eyes. Or my mom would say, conversation is like a ping pong game. One person serves, and then you hit back. So you ask a question and say, fine, how are you doing? Fine, how are you doing? You don't have to say fine, right? You actually, inter you have this interaction. But I, I, I ask people all the time, did your parents teach you how to how, have how to have a healthy conversation, the vast majority of people say no, right? In life groups, we have the opportunity to re-family people and to teach them about fellowship. Well, here, here's my favorite part of, of life group is when someone comes in late and they walk in and everyone goes, hey, Herb! You know, they, they stop. It's just like Cheers, if you watch Cheers, right? Hey, Norm! You know, he, he walks in, and sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? I love that song. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Your troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name, right? Come on. Great job. Give yourself a hand. I love that about life group. People go throughout life feeling like they're not wanted. And life group is this one place where everyone can feel wanted. And it's not because you're doing something to perform. Actually, if you went into life group and tried to perform, people would think you're a little weird. You know, They're like, hey, look at me. You know, <laughs> I might do that, but <laughs> don't try that yourself. Uh, 
No, you, you don't have to perform. You, you, you're liked, you're, you're wanted just because you're you. And I love life groups because it's not just one type of people. It's all different types of people that are coming in. And so people, for the first time in, in many people's lives, they feel accepted just for being them. And, and that's the healing power of love in the New Testament church. And it trains us that you have worth. And then it trains you to receive love. So many people don't know how to receive love. Have you ever met someone that can't receive love? Hey, how are you doing? Fine. Right? Hey, you look great today. No, I don't. Right? Why are they like that? It's because life has trained them that people don't see them. That they're not appreciated. That they're not believed in. Can I just tell you, every person in this room, you are loved. You are wanted here. You're wanted in this church. God created you. He doesn't make junk. He saw you and he blesses you and he wants to pull you into all the wonderful things he has for you in your life. And you need fellowship. And when you start coming in and feeling love, then all of a sudden it starts melting that outer hard shell and you start getting infected with love and then love starts pouring out of you into other people. How do we become more like Jesus? By having fellowship, by freely receiving love, and then what you've freely been given, you can freely give away. Oh, I'm about to get excited up here, folks. <laughs> the next one is the breaking of bread. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a little video to show on fellowship. This is cool. So I think for me, the best part about community group is that I'm able to get a lot of relationships that I didn't really grow up with, like from a Christian perspective. So I have a lot of older people that are able to pour into me. So I think having all these people that have kids, that have marriages, that have like had ups and downs, they're able to give me much more solid advice um, on dating, on work, on career. Uh, and that to me is the best thing I get out of um, out of life group is that I'm just surrounded by a bunch of like amazing influences and I just have friendships that I would not be able to cultivate outside of, outside of it. Way to go, Jonathan. Hey, I like that pink shirt too, bro. He was like, what? I'm filmed tonight in a pink shirt? It's awesome. He might not ever talk to me again after that. <laughs> Breaking of bread. Uh, th there's two facets to, to breaking a bread. First is uh, sharing a meal together. Uh, I love how when people have a meal together, it just makes them more comfortable. You know, I think about inviting people that have never been to a, a church activity into something. And, you know, if you said, hey, you want to come to my Bible study tonight? Think about how unrelatable that is to someone who's never been to church. Okay, we're going to actually sit around and study together. Like, that sounds very painful. Or, or hey, you want to come? We're going to stand in a circle and sing songs staring at each other. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you, like a Barney group or something, you know? But, but when you say, hey, come to this group tonight. It's for my church. But the, the first half of it is just we share a, a meal together and get to know each other. That it breaks down walls. It makes people feel comfortable. We, we filmed uh, our, one of our co-leaders talking about this, her, her, this part of life group. Why don't we show Kathleen's little clip? My favorite part of life group is 
eating, and <laughs> awesome. and not because of the food, but because because I that's the time when we bring people together and everybody gets to relax okay. and they start to know each other and you get to um, laugh with people who you don't know that well. I love bringing people together and I love creating community. I feel like I'm seeing just walls being broken down and um, barriers sort of canceling out and and unity. And everyone's just accepting one another where they're at and it's just really cool. I love eating as well. I'm very good at it. Um, you know, I, I think that meals are times that we spend with people we want to get to know. So there's all different activities we do in life with, with people we're forced to be with. But if you, if you notice, the people you actually try to share a meal with are close relationships. And that's the, there's a power to bring people together when we, when we eat together. And, and that's why if you study the Bible, one time I remember just trying to read the Gospels to see how many meals Jesus shared with people. Like, Jesus is eating his way through the Gospels. Have you, have you, he's always, and I love about Jesus, he's always inviting himself over to people's house to eat. I want to be more like Jesus, right? But, but he was on to something. He, he understood the power that eating together has in building strong relationships. So don't ever discount that. And that's one of the great parts of going to Life Group is sharing meals together. And obviously there's the second part. I don't have time to unpack it. But that powerful thing known as communion where Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, and says, this is my body broken for you, symbolizing his body being broken on the cross. This is my blood. He takes a glass of wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And so we also have this wonderful sacrament called communion that we can often do in small groups or we do here on Sunday mornings uh, on occasion celebrating what Jesus has done for us in the breaking of bread. A couple more. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Watch this video as Mark who he and his wife Lily were new to our group. Uh, watch what it did in their lives. I went to a traditional church. Okay. Okay, and you recited things. Okay. You went in, you go into so like service. So like rote prayers or reading prayers. You just read prayers, you do this. And I never really felt that need or that, I, I never felt the follow through until I started coming to all people's church. Okay. And coming to the life group. My wife, who started out as a, had no belief, but it wasn't until she came to all people's church that all of a sudden she just, something flew through her, through world mandate is when okay. it really, really uh -huh. hit her big. But she truly is totally into it and is getting deeper into the studies that go with it. Yeah. It's been really beautiful to watch uh, Mark and Lily, Mark coming from a Catholic background, and then and then Lily coming from an unbelieving and, and somewhat Buddhist background, just get on fire for Jesus through our life group, and watching them learn how to really pray out loud, and now it's, it's fun to watch Mark as he's just the first to pray, laying hands on people, and telling what he senses that God's speaking, and Lily just on fire for Jesus now, and gone from, from not being a believer to going, wow, I had this vision of Jesus doing this, and he was showing me all this. It's just unbelievable. I, I think that prayer is one of the most intimidating aspects of the Christian life for people, and how do we learn?
learn to pray. I, I, I remember trying to learn to pray out loud. One of my uncles asked at a big family gathering, Robert, will you pray? And I remember being like, God, uh, bless this food. Uh, and I said, uh, so many times. At the end of it, my other uncle ended up going, wow, you say, uh, a lot. It's like, thank you. Shouldn't you have been praying instead of listening to me pray? But anyway, uh, maybe I need a little inner healing over that. But um, how do we learn to pray? We learn to pray by being around people that slowly teach us how to pray. And where's the best place to do that? It's in a life group. And, and so people come in, and we don't say, now, now you have to pray. We say, hey, are you comfortable praying? If not, you just kind of listen to people. But prayer is just talking to God. And so in our life group, we've had so many people that have prayed their first out loud prayers of their whole life in our life group. Right? And it's so beautiful to just watch that progress. Because you know what I find is every Christian wants to know how to pray. But how are you going to learn? Well, we learn in these small group settings. You know, it's not on a Sunday morning. I, I, the church I grew up in, there were just a few people that prayed. And in the middle of a service, like a deacon would walk from the back of the room to a microphone down on the floor. And I was always going like, the deacon. Because it was like, who is the man who will pray in front of hundreds? And they'd kind of walk forward, you know. You're like, deacon prayer, right? It, but in, in, in a New Testament church, everyone can pray. So how are you going to learn? We're going to learn in a group of 10 to 12 people where we're just learning to have a conversation with God. And I, I love seeing it. And then I love seeing after we pray that the next week you come back and people say, God answered that prayer. And, and I want to tell you how, to get in, how you'll get into prayer is when you pray and then you see God answer it. And you realize, wow, there is this power to be unleashed through prayer. Right? I pull out my prayer guns. Right? And you, you pray and poosh, something happens. And you're like, ooh, let me try that again. Poosh, you know, and you just start, you get into it that way. I, I love seeing that transpire in a group. And, and the Bible says wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. So there's a power. You think, well, you know, it's just me and Jesus. That, that's not the biblical way of living out the Christian life. The biblical way is in a group of disciples, and so you come together, and two or more gather together, and whatever they agree on in prayer, they receive what they have. And so we start seeing these answered prayers, and it's really, really exciting. A couple more. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were performed. This is my other co-leader, John, and watch what he says about this aspect of seeing the supernatural enter into a life group. Yeah, so life group's all about relationships. Uh -huh. And when you develop deep and meaningful relationships and you invite the Holy Spirit to show up, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up in those relationships. Mm -hmm. And you know what to pray for. You know um, what areas of your life you want the Holy Spirit to, to, to work on. Uh, and it all happens in group. So we've seen people uh, healed by, by the Holy Spirit through uh, physical healings that we've seen emotional healings mm -hmm. we've people seen people come to Jesus which is a supernatural mm -hmm. event uh, we've seen uh, you know many many prayers answered mm -hmm. uh, in regards to work and relationship and family uh, and that really all happens through the connections at life group when you feel comfortable with people and you let your guard down you can just invite the Holy Spirit to come and he does mm -hmm. so he here's the the really cool thing about life groups is Everyone gets to play. What I mean is this, that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not about you coming on a Sunday and your whole Christian life just being about hearing Stephen and team lead worship and then me teach the Bible. No, it's about you learning 
how to impact people through God living inside of you and flowing out of you. And every single person in here has been given spiritual gifts. And where do you exercise that? You exercise that in your life group. You exercise that in your community throughout the week. And you will start to grow as you exercise your gifts. And then it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just starts moving. That's why we don't just come in and have a Bible study where one person teaches. That's why we worship. That's why we pray for each other is so that we can let the Holy Spirit supernaturally get involved. Oh, it's so beautiful. And let me just finish with this. Skip down to the end of the verse. It says, and daily people were added, those who were being saved. And, and, and that's why we don't have closed life groups. Because what we believe is that living things grow. If something has life, it, it attracts life. And so we always want to be giving away what God has given us. That's why we say get rocked, get real, and give it away. And so we're always inviting people into our life groups. And, and maybe you've been a person that's been a part of a small group before and you said, you know, it got kind of stale. It got kind of boring. Let me ask you, were you having people come in that didn't know Jesus? Because when that starts happening, you start getting this tremendous compassion for people. And then there's this unbelievable joy when they cross that threshold into faith. And then you get to start pouring into them. We've had numerous people come to Christ in this life group that I'm a part of this past year and a half. But I want you to watch this testimony because this is a precious woman, Karina, who's actually still on her journey. She actually, I don't think, would say she's crossed that line of faith. And so I want you to listen to this testimony of her and the friend that brought her and her experience coming into our life group. Karina was in a car accident a few months ago. Wow. And um, I had the opportunity to, to go to her house and pray for her. She lives in Temecula, so I invited her to stay at my place oh, cool. when she came back to work after she went through PT. And one night, I, I, I think I was concerned that she didn't want to be home at home alone. So I said, well, you can come to life group. And I've been talking about life group and, and my church at that time, and she was very open to it. So for me, it was kind of a big deal, and I didn't know what to expect. That's why I asked her, is it going to be weird? Like, I, I'm afraid. Like, what if it's, I have, I don't know things right. because I have, you know, this is all new to me. Um, you know, Wendy helped me out. She gave me a Bible, and I could read along. And granted, I didn't know as, you know, I really didn't know as sure. much as everyone yeah. else here yeah. and what was going on. I absolutely loved it. Everyone has been so, um, so kind and to me, opened their hearts to me and um, kind of helped me understand a little mm -hmm. bit more. And I don't, I don't feel um, pressure like I thought I would mm -hmm. to, you know, be as well versed in everything, yeah. but it's, um, led me on this amazing journey. I just, I started reading a children's Bible. I was like, you know what, let me just start with the basics, wrap my head around yeah. a children's Bible. Um, so it's been great. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I was like, Karina, please share. She's like, no, I'm like you got to share. This is going to impact so many people. So Here's the thing. So sometimes we feel, gosh, can I really, it's so hard to know how to bring up Jesus at my work or to share the whole gospel or how do I do that? Can I just tell you one of the easiest ways to bring people into the kingdom is just inviting them to life group. I thought I'd get an amen. I, I, did, you, did you hear how Karina said, you know, I didn't know what it would be like. She's come every week. She's more consistent than a lot of the Christians in our group. Why? Because she's feeling this love and she knows that she's cared for and she's excited to be on this journey 
with God. This is the perfect place for people to come and, and, and not just hear truth. So many times, guys, in our Christian life, we think it's all about just hearing truth. You, you know, it's so much more. It's about experiencing Jesus and experiencing his family that wraps you up in love. And this is how we're discipled, and this is how we're changed. I want every single person in this room to have a New Testament experience, and you won't have it unless you're in community. So let me just challenge you as we end our service with this. Jump in a life group. Try one out. If you don't like the first one you go to, we have 50 plus more for you to try out. I guarantee you'll find one that will work for you people of all different ages, all different backgrounds, meaning all over the city, but this is the way that you become a disciple. Why don't you stand up with me right now? Can I have the prayer team come forward right now? Prayer team, come on forward. Would you just pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I thank you so much for the community. I thank you so much for transforming my friends' lives, for Herb and for Jonathan and for Mark and for Wendy and Karina and John and Kathleen, all these different ones sharing. And Lord, we love that you put people in families. And I'm praying right now for anyone in this room that feels alone, that feels discouraged, that doesn't feel connected. Lord, I pray that you'd bring them into the body of Christ and you'd let them be connected. If you don't